You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Good morning. Um, I give glory to God for being alive. I'm living bonus time, ladies and gentlemen. That really is true. From um, I can't stop praising the Lord and I can't, uh, can't stop realizing that um, only 5% of the people who came through what I came through can are alive and making sense, talking plain, using language that makes sense. So I'm, I'm really grateful, although that didn't sound very coherent. I, I'll get there in a minute. <clears throat> we talked this morning about... Um, the title is, is Experiencing More Grace, which I say I think everybody would be interested in. Um, I really want to, let me, let me say this, Every, everybody has an inner, as a believer, you have an inner life. You have the life of your heart, what goes on inside. The Bible talks about the hidden man of the heart. And so often it's what goes on in your heart um, that um, affects the way you live your life and even some of the things that come your way. And I want to um, I want to touch on some of these because I want all of us to experience more grace. Anybody here want to experience more grace? Well, Titus two eleven through thirteen says, "For the grace of God." that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, so the grace of God teaches us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a that's a packed full verse. Um, God's grace in the gospel has appeared to everyone, is for everyone. And yet the truth of it is that grace needs to be accessed. As it is, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and world desires so that we can live soberly, righteously, even godly in this present age. This means that the true grace of God, when embraced, changes us. The true grace of God has an effect on our lives. And grace is not just forgiveness of sins, which is more akin to mercy, but grace is the enabling power or the ability to live and accomplish things. Grace is an enablement, not just um, being forgiven. And there are hindrances to our ability to obtain more and more grace. Are there hindrances? Let me ask that question. Yes. What are those and what can we do about them? And so I hope to get to three of them this morning. Three hindrances, pride, criticism, and unforgiveness. My telephone's talking to me. I mean, my watch Never mind, I'm just going to turn you off. (laughs) That's what you deserve. Um, I want to read a number of verses um, 
on pride. Proverbs 8.13, do you see, see it on the screen there? Is it up? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Now, God talks a lot about things he hates, doesn't talk about people he hates, but he talks about things, attitudes. Um, the New Testament calls this the flesh. You know, when the New Testament talks about the flesh, it's not talking about your skin. It's talking about attitudes. It's talking about uh, the things that go on in a person's heart. Uh, Proverbs 11.2, when pride comes, what comes next? Then comes shame. Proverbs 11, verse 2, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13, 10, by pride comes nothing but strife or contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Are the verses on the overheads there this morning? Yeah, okay. Psalm 138.6, though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lonely, but the proud he knows from afar. In the New Testament, it says God gives more grace, but it says God resists the proud. And this is so important for us. James 4, verse 6 but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And so I made note of the things that accompany pride, and it's not good. Contention, strife, shame, destruction, and a fall, being distant from God, and God's resistance. All of these things are produced from the heart of pride. Yeah, now, I know I'm going to have to calm you down from getting excited about this morning's message. Uh, this is not something you're going to shout about, but these are the things that can save your lives. They really are. It's so important. Um, ways that pride manifests. Criticism, condemnation, and unforgiveness. The dangers of pride. Uh, pride manifests in a number of ways, primarily through judging, condemning people, criticism, uh, condemnation of others. When we're proud, we judge, criticize, and condemn other people. When we behave that way, God resists us. How does God resist us? By withdrawing the kind of grace that keeps us from doing the things we shouldn't do. Did you hear that? By withdrawing the kind of grace that keeps us from doing things we shouldn't do. We have no idea. Lots of times we attribute to our character um, the ability to do the right thing when really it's the grace of God. Often the end result of condemning other people results in us doing the very things as did those people we criticized. Robin, would you repeat that? Yes. 
often the end result of our condemning people results in us doing the very things those people that we criticize did. And now I'm going to give you some examples of these principles in, from the Scripture. Um, first of all, I want to look at Simon Peter. If you've read much of the New Testament, you realize that Simon Peter was quite a character. He was impulsive, um, a man's man. and um, But Peter assumed he was braver than he actually was. And Jesus warned him, but Peter didn't listen. Matthew 26, 31 through 35. Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so since Peter didn't believe what the Lord said, he had to prove that what the Lord said was true. Did you hear that? Since Jesus, I'm sorry, since Peter didn't believe what the Lord said about his character, it threw him into a situation where he was going to have to prove to himself that what Jesus said about him was true. And we find um, in John 18, after Jesus was taken into custody, Peter and John followed him. And... Um, it says this, but Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known by the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And what did Peter say? I am not. Then in um, verse 25 of John 18, now, Simon Peter stood and warned himself. Therefore, they said to him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. That was the second time. One of the, listen to this. This is really sort of a bit comical. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of him whose ear Peter cut off, said... <laughs> <laughs> didn't I see you in the garden with him? Weren't you the one that cut my nephew's ear off in the garden? And Peter denied again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So Peter got big time busted, didn't he? Now, here's the end result. is in Luke 22, verse 62. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Now, there are lessons to be learned here. Simon Peter could have avoided failing by agreeing with the Lord when the Lord warned him. Peter judged all the other disciples and apostles. He declared that no matter who denied the Lord, he wouldn't, and yet he did, over and again, even three times. Peter's fall, Peter's shame, were the direct result of his pride and his judgment of those around him. Basically, what Peter was saying was, 
you know, you apostles might deny the Lord. I won't. I'll never deny him. And it was within about six hours. He did it three times, just like Jesus said. So here's Peter's conclusion. Um, actually, I've got that somewhere else. I'm sorry. That was a misstep. Here's what James, the Lord's brother, said. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, one of the really vital principles here, a friend of mine used to call it, you own to disown. Say that with me. We own to disown. And what that means is if Peter could have owned his cowardice, he wouldn't have had to have proven it. He could have disowned it. He could have humbled himself. Um, now I want to talk about something I call the Haman principle, and this is really quite frightening, although that's frightening enough what, what, what went on with Peter. Um, Matthew 7, 1 and 2 says, Condemn not that you be not condemned. Actually, it says, Judge not that you be not judged. But that um, word judge means condemn. For with what judgment, somebody say with what judgment. With what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, let's say that together. With the measure you use, let's, let's do this. Let's say with the measure I use. With the measure I use, it will be measured back to me. I just want that to sit there a second. Sometimes we're looking for the person that's causing us all this trouble, and sometimes you just need to look in the mirror. We determine the measure. Let me say that again. According to Jesus, we determine the measure. We should be scared. We, that's scary. I mean, you know, nobody talks about the fear of the Lord. Um, but the, the fear of the Lord means that he tells us um, principles and he speaks to us about our lives and if we pay attention to him, we can avoid situations that he doesn't bring upon us, really. We bring upon ourselves. And so the fear of the Lord is to depart from evil. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there's such a lack, oh my goodness, there's such a lack of humility in the world today, it's frightening. The kind of criticisms and judgments and hostilities and the terrible media things that go on. It's just, it's just unbelievable. And people have no idea the trouble through their condemnation of one another that they're setting themselves up for according to what Jesus says. And I, I try to go by what Jesus says. But our unrighteous judgments can actually determine some of our future troubles. Now, don't misunderstand me. Every difficult thing that ever happens to us, I'm not saying we bring it on ourselves. 
because life's tough. Everybody with me? Don't, don't make this principle bigger than it is, but make it as big as it should be. The principle of reaping and sowing works in both positive and negative ways. We will reap what we sow, either in a way that blesses us or harms us. In our finances, Paul actually said, um, if you've reaped little, you've sown little. Well, that sounds like prosperity. Well, it sounds to me like a farmer. Right? Well, isn't that, well, I'm just saying, well, there's a reality to reaping and sowing. And it's true whether it's to our benefit or our harm. The truth of us determining the measure of our judgment is clearly demonstrated in the book of Esther through the life of a man named Haman. His hate-filled condemnation of a man named Mordecai cost him his life. How many of you are familiar with the book of Esther or have ever read it? A lot of you have. Okay, great. I'll give you a little synopsis of it. But in the book of Esther, she is a young Jewish woman living in the Persian Empire, that would be Iran, who finds favor with the king, becomes the queen, and risks her life to save the Jewish people from destruction when the court official Haman persuades the king to authorize exterminating all the Jews of the empire. Now, neither Haman nor the king at this point knew that Esther, the queen, is actually Jewish. Um, So the new chosen queen, Esther, a cousin and adopted daughter of uh, Mordecai, is Jewish. Mordecai's bitter enemy in the king's court is a man named Haman, and he's the king's right-hand man. Because Mordecai fails to bow before Haman, Haman plots not only Mordecai's death, but as I mentioned, the extermination of all the Jews in the Persian Empire. Mordecai calls on Esther to save the people by appealing to the king. So Esther heroically risked the king's wrath by appearing before him uninvited. In other words, you just didn't barge into the king's court. You had to be invited. And if you weren't, he could respond poorly. So the king receives Esther in the court. She invites King Ahasuerus and Haman to some banquets where she reveals that she too is Jewish and she persuades the king to both save her people and also deal with Haman. Now here's what Haman had done. Haman had constructed a gallows to publicly hang Mordecai on. He had built this Structure, I can't remember how tall it was. I think it was 70 feet off the ground. It was huge. For the sole purpose of hanging Mordecai. But true to the spiritual principles of God, Haman was hung on the very gallows he had designed and built for Mordecai. The king had condemned Mordecai. And Mordecai, I'm sorry, Haman had determined the measure of his own destruction and judgment. That is a very, very frightening 
idea. Let me, let me ask the Lord to search your heart. I can't do it. But when we have conflicts with people, it's a very dangerous thing to want the people who have offended you to suffer. To not do well. And here's what I think happens, can actually happen to us. The things that we want from, for those who've offended us may actually be exactly what we get. Now, I worked uh, 20 years in the food service equipment business, and I earned a living by selling commercial cooking equipment and supplies. I designed kitchens. I put in kitchens. I put in big dishwashers, all kind of stuff. In the major hospitals in Charlotte, um, I installed equipment all over town. And if I sold it, I had to get it installed, and then I had to collect the money for it, and then I received a commission. And I started doing real well. At one point every year, my salary actually doubled. So I was doing really well. Well, we had an installation crew, and they were paid by the hour. And they delivered and installed the equipment that I sold. And over time, as they sort of watched my life, um, it became obvious that they were jealous of me and the amount of money I was earning. And so one of them in particular, when I was out on sales calls and he wasn't out um, installing things, would sit at my desk and eat his lunch and uh, it was nothing for me to find pieces of ham on my telephone receiver. <laughs> and he would extinguish cigarettes in my desk drawer just, just to bless me. Um, now, he never admitted to any of that, but it didn't take a private detective for me to figure out what was going on. So over the weeks, I fumed, and finally I discerned I determined I was going to get even with him. Some of you may have heard this story before, but um, listen to it again because it's a real picture of what happens. So one day my opportunity came. I looked out in the parking lot, and he was a big old fat guy. No offense, anybody, but he was a big old fat guy. Hey, look at me. Come on, don't be offended. He was out in the parking lot washing his uh, installation truck, and I had on a three-piece suit and a tie. Do you remember the days men used to wear three-piece suits? That's how long ago this was, probably 30-plus years, 40 years ago maybe. And um, I was all dressed up because I was going to go make a sales call on a real important customer. And I had walked into the back warehouse, and I was st standing up on the loading dock, and his truck was down on the uh, ground by the loading duck dock, and he had wet the truck, and he was soaping it up. And he had left the, um, the water hose right where I was standing at my feet. And I thought, oh, man, this is perfect. I'm going to pick up the hose and squirt him with it really good. Well, the hose had a pistol grip. How many of you know what those pistol grip handles are on a hose? So I picked it up. Now, what I didn't realize was, it was I was holding it up backwards. It was aiming at me, not him. And so, now I was all dressed up. I couldn't afford to get wet. 
But just as I got ready to let him have it, I had mercy on him, and I turned it away. And when I squeezed it, that water shot right by my ear. Now, that's a picture. I was going to get whatever I wanted him to have. And it wasn't something he had done to me. It was something I had done to myself. So that's some of the dangers of condemning and criticizing people. Anybody feel any twinge of, um, anybody feel the Lord, anybody talking, anybody, Lord talking to anybody? Am I just sort of digging around here? Anybody else? I see your hand. Okay. Well, then I've been thinking about um, unforgiveness. I, I have to deal with forgiving people. I'm not an automatic forgiver. I have to work at it sometimes. Who, who else is that way? Well, Jesus talked about the necessity of forgiveness in a number of different places. How many of you remember the Lord's Prayer? Part of the Lord's Prayer goes, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And so Jesus begins to put experiencing forgiveness with giving forgiveness. And forgive us our trespasses as we do what? Forgive those who trespass against us. And my my idea about this is I don't believe if you don't forgive somebody, um, God condemns you forever. I don't believe that. But I believe there is. this is about how life works in our benefit. That when we're forgiving of others, God releases more of the grace that we're talking about. Um, and then Jesus concluded this prayer with this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, there's this idea about being forgiven as we forgive. But what I really believe this is talking about is plenty of people have internal struggles, internal conflicts that are directly connected to unforgiveness they have towards others. And the way we experience that liberation and grace is through forgiveness of people that have offended us. I thought about a young lady was teaching a little kid's Bible class. And she asked them to try to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And one little kid got up and here's the way he said that part of the Lord's Prayer. He said, forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. Yeah, forgive us our what? Trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. Now, one of the ways you know you have forgiven is when you stop passing trash about others. I mean, you just, if you're still talking about it, you're not over it. Forgive us our trash passes as we forgive those who pass trash against us. That's really good.
Jesus also gave us another example. God, Jesus, you're just messing with us. In Matthew 18, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but it's, um, it's about 14 verses, but I'm going to summarize for it. Peter asked Jesus, interesting who it was, Peter, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus said, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Well, what was Jesus really saying every time? Peter was trying to, (laughs) he thought seven was enough. He must have had some rough relations. I don't know. Well, then Jesus says what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And one in particular owed him, the Bible says 10,000 talents. As close as I can figure, that's $10 million. But he wasn't able to pay it, and so... um, The master commanded that he be sold, his wife and children, and all that he had be sold, and the payment made. And the servant fell down and said, Master, uh, have patience with me, and I will pay you all, which he couldn't do. So the master said to that servant, because of his compassion, I release you, I forgive you from the debt. But the next thing that happened was that very servant went out, And there was a man that owed him a $100, and the servant threw him into prison until he paid the debt. But other servants were grieved by that servant's response after having been forgiven, and they told on him. They went to the master and said, look what this guy did that you forgave. And the master was so angry He delivered him to the torturers. Somebody say torturers. Now, this is what Jesus said. Until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. What do you do with that? I think you just have to deal with it, right? Was Jesus like that? Well, he says his daddy is. Now, what are the torturers? I think the torturers are mental, I mean, you know, it's all the mental oppression, anger, hostile, all that kind of stuff. I think a lot of it, not all of it, I'm, I'm not a professional in, in, in all of that psycho, uh, psychological stuff, but I've been around enough to see how things work. Um, But here's what you need to know. Unforgiveness opens you up to demonic oppression. That's what it does. And you will suffer some of that demonic oppression until you pay what you owe. Or until you forgive. Those were the two options Jesus gave. Pay what you owe or forgive. Okay, let's have a let's have um let's have a vote. We're gonna vote for all of us that want to pay what we owe and all of us that want to forgive. All in favor of paying what you owe, say aye. Uh, oh, okay. 
all in favor of forgiving all those rats. I mean, forgiving all those people. Say amen. Amen. Oh, my goodness. When you look at what our sin costs God, it costs him the death of his son, the redemption, the redemptive act of Jesus to bear in his body all our sins. I was talking to Josh Jensen the other day. I'm a little bit upset with Josh. And uh, the reason is he's a much better painter than I am. Now, the other reason is he's a better painter than I am, and he's been doing it since he was a child. So I was complaining to him about that, and he said to me, this is the best I remember. You can straighten me out later, Josh, if this is accurate. But when I said something to that effect to him, he said, um, Robin, in some things I know more, and I'm more experienced than you. And in some things, you're more knowledgeable and experienced than I am. I mean, he's been doing this, I don't know, Josh, 50 years, 40 years. Well, I've been serving the Lord 50 plus years. And there are some things I have learned that you may not readily understand or see or have thought of. And part of it when it is when it comes to forgiving people. And I've, I've, I have not always been successful at forgiving people. I've been through my own issues over the years. But here's what I've discovered. Please listen to this. Judging people's motives connects us to unforgiveness and can cost us our peace or our sense of the presence of the Lord. Arthur Burt used to tell me, judging people's motives diminishes our experience of the presence of the Lord. Judging their motives. Judging their motives. There's some times when people can't get free to forgive someone because they presume they know why the person did what they did. Now, Jesus tells us all over the place about the importance of forgiveness, but he very, very rarely gives us a how-to. Do you understand what I'm saying? Should we forgive? Yes. Why should we forgive? God forgave us. How do you do it? Right? How do you do it? Well, there's something Jesus said on the cross, and I think embedded in it, there's a key. Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Now, when I look at what happened to Jesus, I think, sure seems like they knew what they were doing, right? They hit him on purpose, right? They crucified him on purpose, right? Well, to know means to be aware or to understand. Father, forgive them for they do not understand. They're not aware. They cannot tell what they do. That's the way Jesus prayed on the cross. 
He understood that one of the keys we have for forgiving others is to realize. Say realize. Realize. Really internally internalize this. That they don't, we don't know what people are doing when we go through offenses with other people. That may not make sense to us, but it made sense to Jesus. We need to take Jesus at his word. We need to adopt his understanding of how that works to successfully forgive. Jesus was revealing that when we assign motive or intent to people who commit offensive actions or even harm us, it hinders our ability to forgive them. I think that's a very important revelation. Now, I'm going to share something I believe to be true. I'm going to walk through something, and I don't know if you can make this journey with me, um, but I'm going to try to help you here. Let's say uh, my dad, I left home, I grew up, I was gone, and my dad built a new house, and he called me on the phone. Robin, I want you to come spend the weekend with me. Enjoy my new house. Let me show you what I've done. And so I go spend the weekend with my dad, okay? Everybody with me. And so I'm in a strange bedroom, and I get up in the night. Say I need to go by the bathroom. I get up in the night. I bump into a bookcase. A vase falls off the bookcase. It hits me in the head. I have to go to the hospital because I have a concussion. I get 15 stitches. I need to be healed. I get healed. And, you know, then it's scarcely a memory. Everybody follow that? Bookcase, bump, vase, head, hospital, stitches, concussion, healing. Forget about it. Or let's say I hear a ruckus outside of that said bedroom and it's my father who's gotten drunk and I go out in the hall to see what goes on. We get into a bit of a disagreement and he hits me in the head with a vase and I get stitches and I get a concussion and I go to the hospital and I get healed and I'm bitter at him the rest of my life. But at the end of the day, there's a vase, there's my head, there's stitches, there's a concussion, and I got healed. What's the difference? The difference is the intent and motive I put on my father for what happened. And until I can deal with that intent and motive, I can't forgive him or I don't forgive him. Because it locks me. How many of you can hear this? It locks me into the event. Now, there's another thing we don't understand. In Romans 2.1, Jesus says, Therefore you have no excuse or defense or justification, O man, whoever you are, who judges and condemns another. For imposing is judge and passing sentence on one another. You condemn yourself. Because you who judge are habitually practicing the very same things that you censor and denounce. Here's what we don't realize. We don't realize that we don't see people as they are. We see people as we are. 
We don't see people as they are. We see people as we are. One of the things that really is scary is the things we don't like in other people, we also have going on in ourselves that we don't recognize. We see ourselves in other people. We condemn them. We don't forgive them. So who are we not forgiving? Ourselves. It's tricky. It's very tricky. But forgiveness becomes much easier when we stop assigning intent, and that's how Jesus did it. Let me ask this question, and I don't want you to respond to me publicly, but how many of you have someone you need to forgive? Well, here's what I think you should do. You should make a decision to do it. You should say you're doing it. And then you should ask God's blessing on that person. Now, we can do that this morning. Why don't we do it quietly? Who wants to stand up and practice what we heard this morning? If there is someone, identify them quietly. Lord, we know what they did. We don't know why. You know, here's the truth. Some people have harmed other people when they're actually angry with someone else. You might have received the painful end of it, but in the final analysis, they weren't really even doing it to you. You just got in the way. There's so many reasons to forgive people. There's so many reasons to say, Lord, I hear what Robin says this morning, and I elect to not assign intent to whoever it is. And I forgive them. I forgive them. I ask your blessing on their life, Lord. And I ask you, Lord, that you would reveal to me things that can help me be kinder to people and more forgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 